If you don't have a Bible, don't be ashamed to lift your hand up and we'll have an usher grab a Bible for you. Uh, we've got a couple Bibles up here up front on the communion tables and uh, so it's just helpful to have the book in front of you as uh, we go through the Word and it will help you become more familiar with the Bible, the position of passages. Um, I have a bit of a photographic memory, and so for me, I remember, uh, I may not remember the exact uh, verse that a passage is in, but I remember where it's at on the page in my Bible, and I can flip right there. So things like that are just helpful as you're growing and studying the Bible. So if you need one, we got uh, Dave over here with the Bible, so just lift your hand up. We'll get one to you. Uh, and a few announcements as we're doing that. Uh, all of the middle schoolers and high schoolers, there's a youth group pool party uh, tonight, 5.30 to 7.30 there at the Primeville Pool. So just drop your kids off there and um, look forward to that. A little special word of encouragement from Johnny uh, as the school year starts up. He'll be encouraging and exhorting the kids uh, just at the end of the pool party tonight. Uh, lots of opportunities to serve with the kids coming up. Just really want to encourage you to uh, step out in a way of serving uh, husbands, wives, couples, singles. Great way to serve is in the children's ministry at the church. I should say children's ministries uh, because uh, as we get back into the building in a few weeks, children's ministry will be back up two services a Sunday. We're going to need lots of help for that. So I uh, just want to encourage you, maybe you just have no idea, you're like, I don't even know what that would look like, that is so foreign to me. That's okay, come talk to us, we can at least help you, you know, dip your toe in the water and help you kind of understand what that uh, could be like, would be like, and um, thank you. And uh, you got to have, have the book in front of you, he says, and he doesn't have the book in front of him, so um, bring out the book, the reformers used to say. Uh, and... Uh, and so children's ministry, uh, Jess, could you lift your hand up right here up in the front? Uh, if you just say, you know what, honey, we're going to do it. We're going to step out and serve. We're going to be a team, you know, or just whatever. Come talk to Jess and at least get that conversation going. The other neat ministry that we have here at the church that's just um, is a great blessing and has such potential for evangelism in our community is Awana. And so we really want to encourage you on, uh, there's a, a, date, a day move. We went from Sundays, which was just difficult for a lot of families, to Mondays, 4 p.m. And uh, so bringing your kids out to that. What's that? 545. 5.45? Is that correct? Because uh, I was reading something this week. We may have it wrong on one of our things, so. You're looking. I'm, I'm sure you're right, Ken, but I want to make sure. Chris? None of us done? Okay. So we just had something on our paper. So Awana is 545 to 730. Thanks, Ken. Um, so, uh, but with that is also another opportunity to serve. Uh, and Awana is just asking both um, Wade, and, uh, Wade and Ken are both talking about just the need for help uh, there with the kids. And so great way to have fun with the kids and just be a presence and disciple kids. Jesus loves little children. Amen. Amen. And uh, but with that, maybe you're not able to go on Monday nights and help out. They also are just looking for someone that could be a prayer partner and that just during the week or especially on Monday evenings, uh, they will be just covering and interceding uh, for that ministry. So. Uh, Wade Flagel and the cowboy hat in the back there, raise your hand up, would be someone to talk to. And I think Janice is right there by him. Janice, raise your hand up. And Ken Curvin up here in the orange sweatshirt with the baby. Uh, all of those folks would be great to visit to with about a one Uh Just also put on your calendars that two services starts up September 18th. So September 11th is our final uh, park service. And uh, man, with mornings like this, uh, my fingers are still numb from playing the guitar up in the shade up here, super cold. Um, 
But uh, looking forward to that. And September 11th will be a, a meal day here at the church. So a meal will be provided. So look forward to eating with you guys and hanging out extendedly after church. The next week we go back to the building and uh, it'll be an 8.30 and a 10.30 service with a half hour fi fireside fellowship time in between 10 o'clock to 10.30. So donuts and fellowship like we did last year. And with that, you'll be hearing some announcements about just a, a cleaning party and kind of a building party right before we get back in the building and just getting the building ship shape and ready to go uh, as we go back into the facility. So uh, that's all the announcements for right now. Acts chapter 13 is where we're at. And uh, you can flip open your Bibles and get there as well. I'm going to set this microphone down so that it doesn't fall and, and cost us a lot of money. So give me one second. Like a $50 microphone. You think that we can afford that? I don't think so. It's good. So Acts chapter 13, you guys. Um, looking forward to getting into Paul's first missionary journey. And as we do, let's pray. What a wonderful morning it's been, Lord, to just uh, sing some songs just that have been reflective of how wonderful you are, how gracious you are, your great pursuit of man, and how you've come to rescue us and to liberate us to defend us, to stand in the gap, and to be our champion, Lord. Uh, and as we see today that um, the gospel is so powerful, and it is able to convert uh, the darkest souls, God, uh, we pray that you would use it to chase away the darkness in our life, to give us victory over uh, the occult of our heart, and the wicked just um, nature that likes to cling to us, even in even in this new state we live in, uh, Lord, we also pray that just the good news of Jesus would go forth in clarity and that any person here today who doesn't know salvation from their sins and salvation for you, Lord, Lord, that today would be a day that they have their eyes open to see you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Acts chapter 13, Chris kicked it off for us last week in verses 1 through 3, seeing that the early church was in Antioch, and Antioch became the missionary hub, the missionary headquarters of the early church, and that as the early church had uh, wonderful leaders that met and, and worshipped and prayed and fasted and ministered to the Lord, the Holy Spirit uh, spoke and said, set apart for me uh, Saul and Barnabas for the work that I have for them or for the ministry that I have for them. And, and so they prayed and they fasted and they laid hands on these men and they sent them out uh, onto what we would call the first missionary journey or Paul's first missionary journey. Uh, you might title this, The Mission Begins or uh, Paul's Maiden Voyage or mission number one, you know. Um, but we're going to see in verses 4 through 12 uh, some ministry and preaching happening on the island of Cyprus. So let's get into verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed, sailed to Cyprus. And so we see that as they were uh, told by the Holy Spirit to send out Paul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas. That's exactly what they did. It was the Holy Spirit who sent out these missionaries. And we believe that that's still true today, that the Holy Spirit sends out the workers into the harvest field. On, um, you know, in those months of February, March, April, when the Nepal team gets all geared up and ready to go over to Asia, and we lay hands on the Nepal team and we send them out. We believe we're sending them by the Holy Spirit to go share the gospel with unreached people in Asia. Uh, it was the early church, a local church that had the blessing of sending out uh, these people for the purpose of evangelization. And if you notice, uh, maybe you noticed it already today on our website that you were reading the lyrics from, at the bottom of the lyrics page, you might have seen something new. What was it? A map, a map right? Someone's paying attention. Thank goodness. Someone's over there still thinking, calvaryprineville.what? You know? <laughs> .gov, okay? Have fun with that one. Um, just kidding. <laughs> And, uh, and so on the bottom of your lyrics page, there's a map 
Uh, map of Acts chapter 13, you can kind of follow, oh, they were in Antioch, and then they went and they sailed off into the Mediterranean Sea, and, and there you see the island of Cyprus, and if you've ever been on a deep sea fishing you know, trip, and you get away from the land, or you skirt the land, or maybe you've been on a cruise before, and you come into the area of a port, look at that map, and you see how long and narrow the island of Cyprus is, and that they would have approached from the east, heading west, hitting this long, long skinny part and just going along and, and skirting alongside that long skinny part of the island until they got to the port of Seleucia, uh, or rather, um, Seleucia is where they sailed out from, uh, when they, until they got to the island of Cyprus. The island of Cyprus, uh, a special place for Barnabas to visit on this first trip because it was actually his hometown, his home place. His home island, uh, chapter 4, verse 36, says that Barnabas was a Levite of the country of Cyprus. Interesting enough, uh, Cyprus also has another name given by the Hebrews of Elisha or Elisha, and it was a principal export of copper. So it was uh, given its name Cyprus from the word copper. Uh, as we move on in the text, verse 5 and when they arrived at Salamis, uh, this port on Cyprus, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. So Salamis, this commercial center of Cyprus, it had an excellent harbor. And, uh, and what did they do right away? They, they began a pattern that you'll see over the next many chapters of the book of Acts. They went and they found a synagogue. They found a place where the people of God, or who at least had had some sort of an inkling to be seeking God, that they would be gathering on a certain day, on a Saturday, on a Sabbath, and they would have an opportunity to speak to these gathered. Wherever there was a Jewish community in the Roman Empire, those Jews would build a synagogue. And so the, the apostles, the missionaries, they would go and, and find that as the first place they'd go to preach. It's kind of part of the principle of Romans 1.16, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation uh, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And so these missionaries are like, all right, we're going to give these Jews the first opportunity, first dibs, you know, and, and, and then when they reject, then we're heading to the non-Jews. And so... Uh, Paul would go out, he'd preach to the synagogues, and what would he preach? Might underline it there, it's one of the big values of Calvary Chapel, the preaching of the Word of God. Man, there's a lot of great books out there, you guys. There's a lot of good books, there's a lot, man, there's Christian bookstores, there used to be Christian bookstores, then Amazon.com came on, and I don't think I've seen a Christian bookstore in years, you know, um, but if you own a Christian bookstore here today... Ooh, man, times is tough, you know. Uh, and uh, lots of good books, right? Um, profitable books, helpful books. Yet not none of those books are on par or to the same level as the Holy Scripture, as the Word of God that we are told, the very Word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that that. Holy men of God, 1 Peter chapter 1, were moved along and carried along by the Holy Spirit to write these words, the very words of God, the words of truth, words that the book of Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says are so living and powerful, they're sharper than like a double-edged soldier's sword. And they're able to pierce so deep, they pierce to the soul and to the spirit and to the joints, and to the marrow. And that great sword of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, even more than piercing, it's a discerner. A discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So every time we come to the Scripture here on a Sunday morning at Calvary or wherever we're preaching the Word, we know that this Word is going forth like a sharp surgical scalpel, and it's going in, and it's doing a work, and it's doing a work in our thoughts, in our intents, in our heart, bringing conviction, moving us to repentance, conforming us to the image of Christ. As Isaiah 55, 11 says, My word goes forth from my mouth 
and shall not return to me void, but will accomplish all that I please. It will prosper in the thing for which I sent it. And so they did just that. They went and they sent out the word of God. They preached the word of God. And it says, a nice little narrative word here, that they also had John or Mark with them as their assistant or as their attendant. Uh, Some say that they brought Mark with them because he had been with Jesus during those final nights of Jesus's life. And it was in Mark's home that the final Last Supper took place. Uh, It was from Mark's home that Judas uh, left to go betray Jesus. And some believe that it was Mark at the end of the book of Mark that was in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was arrested and that someone grabbed a hold of the sheets. He had been sleeping. You go to bed, John Mark. You're 16 years old and you know you got to go to bed by 10 p.m. So he was uh, in a sheet sleeping when Jesus left and then he followed Jesus to the garden And that when the whole scuffle took place and Jesus was being arrested and all the disciples fled, someone grabbed hold of Mark's sheet and pulled it off of him. And many believe it was John Mark that ran away naked in in the gospel of Mark. And so, so they took this guy with them, hopefully to help bear witness to the passion narrative, to what happened in Jesus's final days. There's another reason that John Mark was taken. He was Barnabas's cousin. And so he's also heading to Cyprus, his old hometown, or at least he has family relations from Cyprus. But we're also going to see later on uh, some drama that unfolds with Mark as well. So uh, just a fun little fact there. They also took John Mark as their assistant. Looking at verse 6. Now when they'd gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar Jesus. So if you've got your map, you see where they landed on the East Coast. And then one language uh, says that they went through the whole island of Cyprus, clear over to the West Coast. Uh, so the East Coast to the West Coast. And, uh, and there they came to the, another major harbor and really the capital of the island, the place of Paphos. Uh, Paphos was a center for worship of the Greek goddess of sensuality, Venus. Now, I know many of you have leg-shaving razors hanging in your shower at home. <laughs> Venus, I'm your Venus, I'm your fire. You're... Okay, put that out of your mind right now, because we're not talking about shaving the legs, okay? Um, there at Paphos uh, was this, this worship center for Venus, but uh, both East Coast and West Coast cities were known for the the cult of the goddess uh, called the Paphian, which was Syrian and had deep connections to Aphrodite. So just like so often, most of the cities over there in the day, uh, just a lot of immorality, a lot of sensual worship, a lot of paganism, a lot of the occult. And because of that, we're introduced to a certain man, a certain sorcerer, Um, who was a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. Now, oh my goodness, isn't it just nice when you see the great synergy of just everyone getting along, you know? You've got a Jew, and you've got, you know, a uh, sorcerer, and you've got a prophet, and he's just a little bit of everything, you know? He's just... He's a little bit of a smorgasbord of spirituality, a smorgasbord of spirituality, okay? Uh, he, you know, it's great. I just love just being super spiritual and just being a little bit Christian and kind of reading the horoscope, you know, and just dabbling in a little bit of this and going and hanging out over at this religion and that religion, and it's all the same. And we see that that is not the case at all when you read the scripture. This man is not mentioned in a favorable light with one foot over here and one foot over there. And as great as his name, Bar Jesus sounds. I mean, some people, they would have met this guy and been like, I believe in Jesus too, you know, and just like, we're best friends, you know, and it's like, okay, let's, let's consider who this guy is. Now his name was Bar Jesus, which means son of Jesus. Uh, That totally helps Dan Brown's book, you know, 
the Omega Code or whatever it was, you know, uh, uh, you know, he's the son of Yeshua or the son of salvation. So he's a Jew who was a sorcerer. One writer called him a renegade, a renegade Jew. Luke calls him a false prophet, not because uh, in the sense that he foretold things that did not come to pass, but in the sense that he claimed falsely to be a medium of divine revelation. Now, if you got your Bible, uh, you can flip back to the fourth book of the Bible, uh, Deuteronomy. Okay, look at in verse eighteen, or chapter eighteen, verse nine, Deuteronomy eighteen nine. It just says there, as the law is recounted to the children of Israel, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, this is Deuteronomy 18.9, you shall not learn to follow the abomination of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you will dispossess, listen to those soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. And we just see this principle to be true throughout the New Testament. But for the Christian, for the people of God, there's no place for hanging around in the darkness of the occult or witchcraft or sorcery or playing with the Ouija board or getting involved with the voodoo doll. You guys, wherever that happens, mark my words, there's an opening for the door of Satan and demon possession and oppression. I'm telling you, you guys, stay away from it. And we kind of have, you know, as a, as a world, we just dabble in so much as a culture and, and just ecumenicalism and just being open to everything. You guys, you open yourself up and you're opening yourself up for the wicked one. It is so dangerous. Stay far from it. And, uh, and so we have this guy, Bar-Jesus, who's a false prophet claiming to speak for God. In verse 7, he was with the proconsul. That means the highest council or the deputy of the country or like the leader of the country. And so this, um, he was sort of like a, instead of the court jester, jester, you know, cracking the jokes all the time, he was the court magician, you know, um, uh, just there to kind of guide and lead through spiritism. Uh, so he was with this the leader, the proconsul, a man named Sergius Paulus. A couple things about Sergius Paulus. He was an intelligent man. Very intelligent man. We'll see something else here. That he sought to hear the word of God. An intelligent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Now, Sergius Paulus, secular history tells us that he was the ruler of this island around 46 AD, the writer of many books, regarded as a pretty neat man, a pretty neat man with a great intellect. And, uh, and he was a guy that was interested in the message of Barnabas and Saul. He wanted to hear from them. Now, the language goes kind of deep. This word sought to hear speaks of that he actually was demanding to hear it. He had to hear this message. Word had gone all across the island and had kind of beat Saul and Barnabas there. And here he says, you know what? I crave to hear what you guys are speaking. Not just your philosophies or your worldviews. But I seek to hear, and there it is again at the end of verse 7, the word of God. You know, the fool has said in their heart, there is no God. Or the literal translation of Psalm 14.1 is, the fool has said in their heart, no God. It's so tragic when you watch friends and people you love <coughs> who've read the scripture, read scriptures on par with Deuteronomy 18, what we just read, where visiting mediums and spiritists and sorcerers and the, those that practice witchcraft, uh, that that is forbidden, that God has not appointed that for us. And they say, no, nah, you know what? I think I'm gonna, you know, and then we read God's 
call for us to walk in holiness and purity and his plan for sex and gender. And then people who've been trained up in the scripture, you know, I don't think I'm going to, you know, they just, they just say no God. And the Psalm says, you know, that's a foolish thing. It's the fools say no God, no God. Romans chapter one tells us that it's the, it's the abominable that exchange the truth of God for a lie and that by proclaiming to be wise, oh, I'm just so wise, I'm just so all-encompassing, that by proclaiming that, they just become fools. And here it's so refreshing, isn't it, to hear of a guy that he's just living in the sort and just paganism all around, but he's a fair inquirer. He's a fair inquirer. He's been hearing this message about the word of God and he's craving it and he demands, I gotta hear this. And so, uh, and so he, this, this seems to be an actual intelligent guy, not a fool. He's going to be, he's not going to be satisfied until he finds the truth. And so in verse eight, but Elemis, the sorcerer, this is this guy's other name, Elemis for her, for so his name is translated. Elemis means like a witch, uh, or a sorcerer. Uh, so he had a nice nickname. Hey, witch, you know, Hey, sorcerer, you know, uh, But Elymas the sorcerer withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. F.F. Bruce said, opposing it for all he was worth, no doubt he suspected that if the proconsul paid too much attention to the faith of the missionaries that they were proclaiming, his own place at court was likely to be endangered. There's a little bit of jealousy going on. Like, wait a minute, I'm the one that does the shows, you know? And he's like, oh, I want to hear from these guys today. Uh, and so Elemis, he begins to, uh, what does it say? He begins to withstand them or to with, to withstood them. <laughs> uh, wants to turn the proconsul away. He wants to mislead. And so you get, we've seen it in all kinds of movies, right? You know, where there's a king and he's on the throne and then you've got, you know, you've got the little guy like behind the throne, like peeking around. Don't listen. Don't listen to them. Oh, he just wants your throne, you know? And uh, that's exactly what this bar Jesus was doing. He's trying to mislead Sergius Paulus. He's trying to pervert and make crooked the message of the gospel. Before it hits Sergius Paulus's ears, uh, Bar Jesus wants to twist it and bring confusion. And so he opposes the gospel like a slithering snake, this Elemis. And verse 9 says, Then Saul, who's also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looks up intently at him. And so here we have just kind of an interesting thing that it's the Saul is now called Paul. This is the first time that this is the first time and from this point on we won't see him called Saul anymore. And there's a few reasons. It's not because oh, Saul was his non-Christian name, Paul is his Christian name now. Uh, but rather Saul was his Hebrew name, Paul is his Roman name, and now that the missionary work is heading towards Gentile country, there's this transition taking place where he's like, you know what? Start calling me by my Roman name uh, because those are the people that I'm going to be ministering to primarily. So just a little fun fact from the author Luke there at the beginning of verse 9, that he was filled up with the Holy Spirit. Whenever we spend time in the presence of the Lord, there's this fresh filling that takes place. And so often when we're in the midst of being used by him, we can just lean into this filling of the Holy Spirit that's upon the workers of the gospel. Uh, I've so often had it happen to me where I just know that there's something in front of me that I'm way too weak for. And I know that it's in front of me and I just lean into the power of the Lord and he's faithful to deliver. And here he does for pause. He's filled with the spirit. He stares at this witch doctor, you know, he stares at this sorcerer and, and he fixes his gaze at him and he says, verse 10, Oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all unrighteousness, or of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? Woo! I just had to vent, you know, uh, just Paul is just like, 
listening, and he's listening to this sorcerer, and he's listening, and pretty soon the kettle's starting to boil, and... You know, and, uh, and so he just calls him out in righteous anger. He calls him that he's just filled up with deceit. Just in front of, in front of the proconsul, you're a liar. You're so full of treachery, cunning, you're bait and switch. You've got a craft about you. The Phillips translation calls him a monster of trickery and evil. And you know what? This isn't limited to just uh, bar Jesus. This happens in our town today. The same type of people that go around calling themselves prophets, calling themselves something spiritual, and yet walking in absolute rebellion to the Lord. They're monsters of trickery and evil. He said, it says here that they're full of fraud. Bar Jesus was a phony cruising around with a name like Bar Jesus. That's a phony. That's a fraud. That's a charlatan. Oh, I'm the son of salvation. Bar, bar Jesus. He was full of villainy and wrongdoing, the, the language speaks of. And it's also coupled with laziness. The language speaks of, you are so full of fraud, you're lazy. You don't want to work for a living, so you go around doing this junk. The New English Bible says that he's an utter imposter and a charlatan. Calls him the son of the devil. We all kind of chuckled at that. Uh, which speaks of he's a slanderer, right? The devil is a slanderer. All throughout the Gospels, in John and in Matthew, uh, Jesus speaks of uh, the Pharisees, that they're of the, their father, the devil, because he was a liar from the beginning. You see that throughout the Gospels. And so that was bar Jesus. He said, you know what? You're from the source of the liar and the slanderer. And you've been slandering the gospel. Uh, uh, you're the son of the devil, not the son of Jesus, like his name claimed to be. Called him an enemy of righteousness. He hated righteousness. He hated all that was good. He was a pervert. Gotta love that, right? He was crooked is what it speaks of. He was misleading. John Stott said he was full of perversion instead of conversion. He was perverting the straight ways of the Lord. And you know what? Some look at Paul, <clears throat> Paul and the way that he confronted Bar Jesus and they say, that's a little harsh. It's a little harsh. I think that we as Christians were the peacemakers. So we never open up our mouth when anyone comes around trying to deceive people and trying to lead people in an opposite direction than the word of God. Just shish and be peaceful, you know? It's like, no, we see all throughout the scripture, if someone is coming and they are a wolf trying to lead the sheep away from the flock, call them out, get them out, okay? And here we see Paul standing up and doing just that, calling a spade a spade. Martin Luther said that there were six, uh, rather nine marks of a preacher. Uh, in John Stott's book, between two worlds, the art of preaching in the 20th century. He writes, since the health of the Christian and the church depends on the word of God and the preaching and teaching uh, of its both, the most important part of divine service and the highest and only duty and obligation of every bishop, pastor, and preacher, it's also such a weighty responsibility that it's extremely demanding. And so Luther gives nine properties and virtues of a good preacher. Let's see if Paul meets these marks here in his Cyprus ministry. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, I'm going to keep a separate list to see if you meet these marks. Okay, I didn't ask you to do that. Okay, but if you have to, you have to. So nine marks from Martin Luther of a, of a healthy, good preacher. Number one, he should, of course, teach systematically. Okay, he should teach systematically. That's through the word. Okay, teaching through the word of God. Uh, I was on the phone with Josh Bryant this week, and uh, he told me, it was actually through Voxer, so it was a recording, it was really funny. He goes, yeah, I was, just, I was listening to Skip Heisick, and he had interviewed J. Vernon McGee back in the day, and he said, man, isn't teaching through the scripture such a wonderful method of just going through the whole book and withholding nothing? And Skip asked J. Vernon McGee, why do you think more pastors don't do this? And so Josh, he's conveying this through a recording on the phone. 
He says, J. Vernon McGee said, it's because they're so lazy. <laughs> and Josh just did it so perfect. I just laughed and I sent him a fox back like, that was such a good impression of J. Vernon McGee. It's because they're so lazy. I feel like I got molasses under my tongue when I say it, right? <laughs> lazy pastors that don't want to do the work of going through the whole book. But, you know, so... What do we know? Twice already of Paul as he's going through. He's preaching the word, right? When he comes back through Ephesus in Acts 20, he's going to say, I have not withhold any of the book for you guys. We went through it all, okay? We go through the book, right? So he should teach systematically. Number two, he should have a ready wit. Write that down. <laughs> he should have a ready wit, Okay. You're like, so far you're one for two here. Okay. Uh, he should be eloquent. Okay. Have a good voice and a good memory. Next, he should know when to make an end. <laughs> Where are you, Adam? He should know when to make an end. Okay. Or at Calvary Chapel, we say, bring it in for a landing, preacher. Okay. Um, and... Uh, one might add, how to make a beginning. <laughs> For he should be sure of his doctrine. Then, ably, he should venture and engage body and blood, wealth and honor in the word. And ninthly, he should suffer himself to be mocked and jeered of everyone. <laughs> and I think that's something that we see of, uh, of Paul right here, is he's stepping out. In, he's, he's crossing a line here where he's calling out the wicked one. You know, and he's going to actually take a step of faith. He's going to tell, he's going to say, something's going to happen to your body right now, bar Jesus, that if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. I'm the false prophet, but I'm stepping out and I'm, I'm willing to be wrong on this one and be jeered at. Um, and Stott just closes this by saying, the risk of ridicule, the risk of losing life, wealth, and name, these, according to Luther, were the ultimate tests of a good preacher. So he calls out Bar-Jesus. He tells him straight up, hey, we've been preaching the word, but you've been perverting the straight ways of the Lord. You might remember that I grew up in the We Sing family. Anybody know We Sing here? It's a little kid's book. Uh, my aunt was the author of that. And so I actually got to sing on a couple recordings you know, um, just like a little kid's songbook. So, and there's a song on it um, about a crooked man. Do you remember the crooked man? You know, it says, uh, there was a crooked man and he walked a crooked mile. He found a crooked sixpence against a crooked style. He bought a crooked cat and he caught a crooked mouse and they all lived together in a crooked little house. Okay. Changed my life, honestly. This song is about Bar Jesus. All right? A crooked man on a crooked road with a crooked cat and a crooked mouse, right? Uh, and that's where that word perverted comes from. It means perversion. It's crooked. He's changing the straight ways of the Lord, and he's trying to make it crooked before he gets into the ears of the proconsul. So he says, will you not cease it? You've been doing it the whole time. It's time to stop. So Acts 13, 11 says, and now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And so we read just a chapter ago, chapter 11, uh, so two chapters ago, we read about the early church in Antioch and how the hand of the Lord was upon them to preach the word and revival was happening. Isn't it wonderful when the hand of the Lord is upon you and there's a movement of the Lord happening and there's great grace and great holiness and great passion for him and great love for the truth. And then here we see now the hand of the Lord. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, you see this, the hand of the Lord can also be upon someone uh, for judgment. And so the hand of the Lord was upon this sorcerer here. And, uh, and what would happen to him? He was going to be blind, not seeing for a time. Uh, I was reminded of a friend of mine who was a missionary in Jamaica for a while. And, uh, <clears throat> and he was crossing a bridge one day and some thugs uh, ambushed him. And they took his glasses and, uh, and took his wallet 
and they, you know, they took his glasses. He couldn't see. And as they're picking on him, he just full on goes Paul in Acts chapter 13 and just says, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And either give me my glasses back or you're going to go blind in the next 10 seconds. And they gave him his glasses back and they ran away. Kept his wallet, but no, I'm just, I don't know what happened to the wallet. But uh, I always think of that when I'm listening to this. And, and so he says, okay, now you're going to be blind. And, uh, and so immediately a dark mist fell on him. Ladies, the next time you're sitting by your husband and you're watching Sense and Sensibility, you know, or some sad, sappy movie like that, and he starts getting a little choked up, a little bit clap. And you say, what's wrong? And he says, just getting a little bit misty-eyed. Tell him, remember Bar Jesus. Okay? He'll, he'll get dried right up. Am I right? Okay, so, uh, so immediately a dark mist falls on him. Maybe this mist, it seems that mist was visible to others. I mean, can you imagine? They're just in this courtroom or whatever it is, and Sergius Paulus is there and just kind of comes down on him. And he goes blind, very similar to, to Saul. Do you recall in chapter 9 when he went blind? He'd been rebelling against the Lord. And after the Lord caught him on the road to Damascus, what happened to him? He went blind and something like scales were put over his eyes. Do you recall that? Uh, there was a man named uh, Venerable Bede who wrote, Paul was remembering his own case. And he knew that by the darkening of the eyes, the mind's darkness might be restored to light. And so maybe through just some time in darkness, He'd have a time to, in a sense, fast and reflect upon righteousness. And so Bar-Jesus went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. That implies that nobody wanted to lead him by the hand. You know, uh, he must have had like that dark mist still around him, you know, and I'm like, no, no, no. Like, you're going to have to find your own way there, Bar-Jesus. John Stott said, for those who put darkness for light, and light for darkness, they forfeit, forfeit the light they already had. And I just wonder if you're here today and you've been in a place where you've been given place to darkness in your life. You've been letting the wicked one speak crookedness and perversion into your mind, into your heart, into your worldview. And there may have even been a time in your life when you walked on the crooked path, the straight path, or as Jesus calls it, the narrow way, the way of Jesus that is truth and life. But you've been, you've been listening to the world. You've been listening to the TikTok videos. You know, you've been listening to the news. You've been listening to the media. You've been listening to the world. You've been listening to friends. And a worldview has begun just twisting and misleading you and you've become crooked you become a crooked man you become a crooked woman and even today you come to this park and i praise god that you're here but you're here with a dark mist about your eyes and you've been unable to see and i pray that the lord today has been able to give you a pinhole through the mist or through the scales that you can see the light of jesus and the truth that's in him I pray for you today that maybe you would not be a bar Jesus or an Elemis the sorcerer, but that you would be a Sergius Paulus, fair-minded and intelligent. See these things out to see if they're so. And what happened in this whole story with Sergius Paulus? Look in verse 12. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. What a great, I mean, this is, when are they going to make a good movie on this stuff? That's what I want to know. This is great. Full-on witch doctor, full-on sorcerer, full-on gets owned by the gospel, has a mist about him. He's going around, somebody help me get out of here. They're like, you're on your own, Bar Jesus, you know. And then you've got the, the governor sitting there watching this whole thing. And what is his response? This is incredible. I believe. I believe. So Sergius Paulus believed when he saw what had been done and he was astonished. Now, he believed when he saw the mist, but what was he astonished at? 
It's like the third time we see it in this little section. Astonished at the teaching of the Lord or the teaching of the word of God. He was deeply impressed at the teaching of the word of God or the language speaks of shaken to the core of the teaching about the Lord. And has anyone ever been there in their walk with Jesus? Maybe today is the first day for you. I remember for me where it became so much more than just religion, but when the Holy Spirit began to speak to my heart as I read the word, my heart was just changed and I hungered and thirst for more. And when I started having pastors preach the Bible to me, man, it was just impactful in my life. It shook me to the core. Even still, I'll listen to some of my favorite pastors and they'll speak to me and it just shakes me and makes me tremble at the word. The word of God, three times we've seen it in this short little section, was a vital component to Sergius Paulus's salvation. In that same book, Between Two Worlds, there's a quote that always rang true to me and uh, Stott writes it. He says, it was the preaching of this divine word, not political intrigue or the power of the sword, which established the Reformation in Germany in the Middle Ages. Martin Luther would write later, I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And when, while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my Philip, at Amsdorf, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that never a prince or emperor inflicted such damage upon it. I did nothing. The word did it all. That's why I love preaching the word, just bringing the word. Have you ever been there, even just in your own times in the Bible? And you're reading and you're just like, I've never noticed that before. I've never, man, that ministers to my heart. Something that you've read a hundred times before, it just ministers right where you're at, convicts you of sin that you're in, draws you to repentance, moves you to prayer, moves you to singing or to praising the Lord. That's what the word of God does because it's not a dead book written on a bunch of papyrus. It's the living, breathing, active, powerful Words of God. And the world has been changed by it. So much so that in the Reformation, Martin Luther, the, the morning star of the Reformation, uh, you know, he just, he says, all I did was brought the Bible. All I did was bring out the book. And it did it all and changed the world. And I pray today, you guys, and we'll have the worship team come back up now. I pray that just today as the word just goes over, and it's just, it's a great true story of missionary adventure on the island of Cyprus that your heart is awakened to the living God, the true God who acts and moves among his creation, who acts and moves in such a way that he has pursued us, even though we've rebelled against him, even though we've done wrong against him, even though in his justice, he has the absolute right to just smite us, squish us, obliterate us, and move on and try something better that works better next time. Instead, he has come down to our level in what's called the great condescension. Our creator came to this earth, lived among us, did nothing but serve us, bring hope, bring life, bring light, bring healing, show his power, show his might, show his love. And in all of that, he was only betrayed. In all of that, he was only rejected. In all of that, he was betrayed and, and arrested and bruised and beaten and wounded and executed in an excruciating manner. Dying on that cross in our place so that anyone who would receive that great love, that great act of love, the blood from that cross would be sufficient to wash away their sins. Anyone who would believe. So if you're here today at this park and you're hearing this message, you're hearing about a God that is actively pursuing and moving His created people to have relationship with Him, to be forgiven of sin, and to have a new life, 
a life that's everlasting. And I want to invite you today, if you've never received such a life, I want to invite you to join the list. The list of all those who have. And one of those names on that list here is Sergius Paulus. I want to invite you to be fair-minded today. I want to invite you to be a receiver and a believer of the Bible that you've heard today. So maybe right where you're at, you can just set your things aside. And maybe just as you have heard the word today, you just think about Bar Jesus and just the effects of the occult on your life, the effects of pagan living upon your life, the effects of living life your way, doing it your way, and just the, the drama and the The warfare, the lack of peace, the turmoil, the fighting, and the destruction that that has left in your life. It's like there's a dark mist upon you. It's like you've been living your life blinded, looking for someone to lead you around. But you're here today and I just pray right now that that dark mist would just be blown away and that you would be able to see life and hope that's in Jesus Christ. That you would be able to be fair-minded like Sergius Paulus. That you would trust in what you've heard today that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's a narrow way. It's a straight way. It is the way. And then right where you're at, you can receive the hope of heaven, the hope of forgiveness of sins. Your sins would be washed away. You'd be given today a new heart and a new mind, a new will that can obey and wants to follow after God. You're given a new mission to be a part of this missionary journey of telling the whole world of new life and hope in Jesus Christ. So right now where you're at, just cry out to the Lord. You you can cry out in a whisper. You can cry out vocally. You can cry out from your heart. Just cry out to the Lord and say, Lord Jesus, Blow that mist away from my eyes. Help me to see clearly. Help me to see sin for what it really is and the destructive wake that it has left behind me. Forgive me of that sin. Thank you for dying. Thank you for your blood that washes away my sin. I want to be new, Lord. I want to have a fresh start. I want to be a Christian. I want to be a part of this mission of telling the world about your awesome love. Change me, God for your fame and for your glory in this world. If you prayed that prayer today, I want to encourage you that God has heard that cry and he's begun an incredible work in your life. The first incredible work is he's forgiven you of your sins. And you can go forth today with great faith and trust that that's happened. And now he has a plan for you for your future. Why don't you guys go ahead and stand with me? I'm going to move over to uh, the guitar here and we'll close.